everybody. Welcome to Bears, Bibles, and Beards, the BBB pod. I am, I am I'm joined by, of course, then Zach Crater and Scott Holbert. Wait, hold on. How tall am I today? Uh, 6'3". You have a hat on, so it covered your afro. Okay. So, that works. And, uh, and also the best-looking guest host... This side of the Mississippi, Andy McCraw. With the McCraw. deepest V-neck of the night. Wow. Oh, that's a solid V. Well, I just want to pull it down in front of the camera. I almost saw How top nip. Doing, huh? <laughs> Could you see my belly button? Almost. <laughs> All right, boys. That is All a right, worship right. leader's V, if I ever saw one. Oh, V-neck, oh. I should say. Dude, that's bringing back some memories. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, we are joined later by Thomas Ord. We but had you him can the... call him Tom, Jeff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The amazing uh, author of God Can't and uh, many other books. Scathing. But we talked to him on a, a response he had to N.T. Wright. Um, so that is coming up later. If we were Boys... running, If we were running a... Um... A website we might frame it as Tom Ord destroys NT Wright. Brutal takedown of NT Wright. That's the keyword. Destroys brutal. You won't believe what he says. And this is what hack you'll never believe what happened next. Yeah. After the break. Boys, <laughs> how you doing? Good. Good. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I was gonna pretend that we were time tra- We're not time traveling in that. This no, interview no, no. hadn't happened yet, but it did just happen. And through the miracles yeah. of modern technology, it will happen after this actual conversation <laughs> as it hits the listener's ears, if that makes any sense. But I am buzzing, and I do have a man crush on Tom Ord. Nice. Nice. Well, keep it Is to yourself. Is it nice? <laughs> the first thing he said, I called him Thomas J. Ord, and right out of the gate, he's like, just call me Tom. And that's when Zach melted. I did. (laughs) Dude, okay, I don't even see on here how many books. There's so many books. Yes. So many books. Like maybe more books than anybody's written. If I could talk like Trump a little bit. Didn't sound like him, but that's what he would say. All the books. He's got all the books. Like if Trump was a little baby. (laughs) Actually, no, it sounds like Zoolander talking in the baby talk. Hey. Yeah. And... I will be honest, though, nobody makes me bleed my own blood. So, <laughs> But he did, he did write, he's, I don't know, it, so many books. He's a smart guy. He's got the credentials to back it up. Yes. I would understand, and there are people out there that would be like, please refer to me as Dr. Tom. <laughs> well, he wouldn't say <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ord or Thomas, but out of the gate. Hey guys, let's have a conversation. And I was impressed. It was great. It was fun. I'm glad Andy's yeah, thank, here now because Andy wasn't. Thank here God there. he thank God he carried the conversation. Yeah, because we were had, speechless. Yeah, I had nothing. <laughs> I mean, I was just blown away by. Nah, it was. It's a. It's a good conversation. It's a good theological and uh, good theological conversation. And just hearing his thoughts, where he's coming from, and his beliefs are are just a a good piece of 
um, what's going on today in society and in uh, Christianity. I'm I'm curious about Andy if you had a chance to read the two the NT Wright one and the Tom Ord response where he agrees. I don't I don't even see that much of a disagreement. It's more of a nuance. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts, Andy. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I know. Well, I'm hesitating here because we're getting so meta on this podcast already. Just the fact that we're, and so I don't want to give any spoilers away. So if I engage you on this, then you're going to say, well, actually what he said, and then no one needs to listen to the rest of this podcast. Yeah, come (laughs) on. Um, but I did read it. I I read his and I started to read NT Wright's, but then Lindsay and I really started talking about it and we got sidetracked, which was the right kind of sidetrack. Yeah. Well, can um, we hear a little bit of, about that? Because it's it's uh, it's an interesting yeah. fodder, either way. Yeah. So um, I I definitely agreed with his general position that it's it's silly to think that God is out there, um, like enacting and punishing people in in this manner. So when when he mentions that in his uh, in his article. That rang true to me, and it seemed to be more in line. But the part where we, where Lindsay and I had this really long discussion, which maybe wasn't as cut and dry, like as Ooh. clean, was... Ooh, wait, put a pin in that. I'm realizing yeah. we didn't say that N.T. Wright wrote an article in Time about coronavirus. Now, Christianity does not offer an explanation for it. And Tom Wright... Right. Or not, uh, Tom Ord wrote why he thinks yes and he wants to add that there is a response from christianity sorry continue no that's good yeah sorry um again just the nature of this what you've done what you've caused this frankenstein baby of a podcast that you've just created (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) don't set it up too much because you'll give it away um the the part that we zeroed in on was his uh Tom's Tom's position that God only basically he will only he, his version of uncontrolling love requires that uh, he works through people and that it, it's up to us to to effectively like carry out the things that God wants to be carried out in the world. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like it is, it is dependent. We got, we, we battled a little bit on Tom's use of the word can't. And I think that he tries to be a little provocative with that word. Yeah. That that God can't do those things. I don't think that's what he really means. Um, And it would have been interesting to press him on that to see like, do you mean he can't or he won't? Because I think can't and won't mean two different things. You might, you might. you should uh, go back and listen to our original podcast with Tom. Yeah, go back and listen to it in the future. <laughs> well, not no, not. I'm talking about when we first had him on. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because he he talks about yeah, and and he does to touch do on I still that. Still have to go back and listen in the future. Okay. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm gonna do it while I watch Back to the Future. Oh my All god, three. I'm my brain is exploding right now. But these are good points. I'm Continue. So Other thoughts. Keep going. This is good. So we got in this really deep conversation about will does God act enact change on the world 
when in, unless it's through people. And and Lindsay's point was like, well, you can't know any, you can't, you can't know all the things about God. It's impossible. And I said, that's true. That we we can't we can't cite every example that predating human humankind and to the beginning of time. But we can take generalities of God's character and examples in the Bible and, and reference those and see in general, can we see what God's character is and, and how he chooses to engage and make and cause things to occur in the world. Plus maybe even our experience. Plus maybe even our experience. And uh, the, the short version of this is that, like, we struggled to find examples where God was enacting his plan or making like causing significant change in the world that did not involve like did not require him like we went to Moses parting the Red Sea well if Moses drops his hands the like God does it through Moses raising the staff and we just it just begged the question well why not why why didn't he just why didn't they just show up and the Red Sea was parted why does Moses yeah. need to be involved why does uh, why does Jesus need? Why is Mary needed for Jesus to show up? Like yeah. each, we kind of went through these. Uh, the, now I, I'd be curious where you guys, if you can find some exceptions. Like I was trying to dig deep. Oh, Who's Scott had a list. Who sets up? Did <laughs> yes. Keep going. You remember the prophet who who sets up the um he sets up the altar. And and they have the it's Old Testament, the the people are worshiping, and they set up two altars, and they basically say, "Have your God light this one up, and then my God will light this one up." Right, right. And then he taunts yeah, them. Referencing. Yes, he's like, "Maybe your God's in the bathroom." And... Right. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> the porcelain God that you pray to. <laughs> That's a different one. But. I like I don't I mean that was that was the one I could kind of come up with Scoot what do you think Yeah I I gave some examples and what I was tr- what I was I I had to start thinking about what the what the point of that observation is um that it cuz that is an observation that God uses means to act in this world and he uses prophets to proclaim his word. Um, and there is, um, there's a verse, and I don't know where it is, but it says that God doesn't do anything without first proclaiming it through his prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, God uses means. He uses humans. Yeah. Um, but what, what's, the, uh, what's the main point of that? And, are you just, is that, well, is that distinguishing from something else where God doesn't use humans? And then what would the difference of those two things be? What's the, what are the yeah. implications? You I can't thought, just well, go, yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, I, it's a good question. And, and it was in response to basically God doesn't, God is not controlling and he, he won't just go out and enact his will, period. Like it requires, I don't, I don't well, it's not even word, he it, won't. He can't. He can't unilaterally control. Which yeah, is going that's even the further. 
well, it, it, he can't if he wants to maintain the system that, that he wants. Well, so he would. He, what... he says he can't because it's in his his nature won't allow him to. Who's he? Or won't allow God. God Who's can't. He? Tom says that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tom that, says that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it's, that's where I think it, it does, it does ultimately come down to a, a want. Uh, it, it does, because we can go against our nature, right? Like, well, God, in, he, in, yeah, but God, God can't go against his nature. And that's where I would agree with, with Tom Moore, <gasps> doctor, um, is that, yeah, God, God can't go oh against gosh. his nature. He, he can't lie. He can't break covenants. Um, but it, the question would be, um, is, would he, is he doing that by doing something unilaterally? Yeah. And that's where I would, that's where I would yeah. take a step back and ask, okay, is that, really the, is that really the implication of God doing something unilaterally? Um, and Scott, I, I do want to say, and I said at the very end after Tom was gone, but I do want to declare right now, Scott, I think, leveled up at podcasting and leveled up at asking clarifying questions in a, at a t- point in the time pod, uh, at a point in the podcast where we had time to to answer and go back and forth and you weren't upset it was great scott you were great and um so receive that and then outside of that i want to say spend the next few minutes before we get to the conversation with tom how are you guys doing right now with everything that's going on currently? I'll speak. So I, um, I was running a couple days ago and, um, had this thought that, uh, Oh, I'll, I'm going to post pictures online of me, um, shaking hands with people. And we've had lots of people with who strangers, um, lots of people that are in our neighborhood, their businesses have shut down. They, we've had a uh, business across the way that closed down for good. And we've got neighbors and friends, um, in our neighborhood that are, um, in, if things don't change in a couple of months, mm-hmm. they'll be done and will be forced probably out of the neighborhood and definitely closing their businesses down. And and so that is a, a huge challenge. Um, and so I, I, I posted this in that there's a fight to open the economy back up. And and at the same time, there are people that are affected physically, um, whether it's in our city or county or state or in the country. Um, but I got pushback from some. And um, you were posting pictures of strangers that you were touching physically. Right. I was touching people. Under normal circumstances, touching in an appropriate way. But nowadays, currently, it's seen as inappropriate. Right, right. Says who? Which is where I have the problem and and the reason. Ultimately, it's can we overcome the fear and 
and and realize that this isn't as bad. However, when you say this isn't as bad and somebody actually has it or knows someone who has it or someone that's died, um, creates creates a a position to where uh, I don't want to be I want to be pushing for people that I know to be able to open this economy so they don't go bankrupt and they're able to provide for their families. And on the other side of the coin, there are people that are, that is super insensitive, Jeff. Um, You're not helping things and we are hurting. And I know of a friend or someone who died in our neighborhood. um, And so you heard some actual feedback in addition to whatever the there was a lot that a couple of those posts I saw had so many comments I was I I didn't look through all of them because I'm like oh my god this is a shitstorm right and and so uh, you know my 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 mom came over um today and she's just started cancer treatment and she gives all of us a hug and um, because that's just my mom, and uh, she—I mean, she knows. Um, she knows my interactions over the last few days, and she, and uh, she doesn't care. Um, but even though she's probably her immune system is probably weaker than what it was, but in the end, it's 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 weird that you got that from her. Being in uh, being in sense, being coming across as cold and heartless and um, combative and insensitive is not the position I want to take. And and, and it's like how do how do you fight for the the rest of the people that have businesses they can't do business and you just sit back and everybody goes bankrupt. I mean, that's, you know, it's a little hyperbole, but, you know, everybody can't do business and be in the society, the capitalist society that we are. Now, what do we do? We just sit back and then when it's all done, it's like, okay, it's all done. Yeah. What about the 30 people that I know that their businesses went belly up? Um, Well, it's just a, you know, I don't know what the response is to that, but it's very that's very frustrating, and I don't have an answer because at the same time, I'm like, okay, publicly, you, you're trying to push out, hey, let's get the economy back up and running, and at the same time, you got the the narrative of, hey, if you're not staying in your house, you're a part of the problem, and if you're touching people or hugging people then you're really insensitive to the people who, you know, are doing their part. And, and you know, the, the media has really pushed that hard um, that you just need to do your part. What and, was your goal in, in posting pictures of shaking hands with people? What, what, what did you hope to, to occur? For, for people to get over fear, to realize that yeah. just because you're, sh- you're you're not, I mean, I've heard many scientists and health people say that walking right next to somebody and sharing the same breath, it's so slim. 
it's 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 so slim that you could you could get right. it right. Uh, shaking someone's hand you'd have to have an open cut um or you'd have to take your hand and actually you know i don't know stick it in your eyeball or something and still you might not um transfer it I you do, know I, I i do that sometimes <laughs> so yeah, my my point Which is, is put an end to all of these follow up sequel Three Stooges movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's to get over it's to get over the fear, and and to realize okay yes, viruses, bacteria's things that get in us and do some damage. Yes, those are real. But and what were some of the responses that you got online? Uh. How could you do this? Um, you you are probably going to die, or you could die. Um, you've been told to stay in your house. You've been told not to go anywhere. And, I mean, that's the gist of what yeah. was conveyed to me on the pushback. Yeah. Um, there was many, many more people who voiced their opinion just by liking or, or giving a, Hey, we're with you, um, comment. So, it, but they're, they're looking, ultimately they're looking at the media and because they were using that as, Hey, I, you know, this many people have died and, you know the we still haven't flattened the curve, or uh, yeah. uh, and that's a really difficult. You can't. It's a really difficult piece to try and um, have a discussion with somebody on Facebook and yeah, that... and and prove you know prove facts. It's kind of like I felt a little bit like wow, you can't argue someone into believing in Jesus. So. This is feels like the same thing. Yeah. So this morning I got up and I'm like, I was stressed. It caused some stress. I actually had this thing in my chest and I coughed once was yesterday there... afternoon. Oh, and my okay. wife's like, oh my God. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And you got I, it. You did it. And I, there... <laughs> fe- I felt so guilty because it hadn't happened yet. I was holding it in yeah. and we were at the, the habit picking up some food. And I'm like, hey, you guys, I'll be right back. And I went to the car and I like hacked. I hacked oh hard. Gosh. And I'm like, oh, my God. Tell me this because is not happening. It's judgment. Because it was for... off brand. And... <laughs> so, so coffee th- is so off brand for you right now, Jeff. <laughs> I had to put the phone I had to put the phone down. I had to put the Facebook and Instagram, the Twitter. I'm like, I can't yeah. pick this up. I need to rest my body. I think I'm just stressed out and anxious and I don't want to be arguing with people about this. And so I woke up this morning and I'm like, this is not good for me. This is not good for anybody. There's no reason to argue this. And I just I pulled everything and I'm you know stuff i poke pictures and stuff i think there's still people arguing back and forth just on the <laughs> message <laughs> um so i might just go in there and delete all that but um you know i had perspective um or, or something to focus on when my mom popped by in and yeah. uh i'm like i'd rather this be out there and praying for my mom than 
you know, who's going through treatments for um, cancer than than arguing about. <laughs> was this the was this the idle hands doing the devil's work, Jeff? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we have, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. Too late. My, when my parents have a lot of time on their hands, they because they're retired, they tend to go to Facebook, or it did in the past, and would it would be an outlet to them. Whereas oh. maybe in earlier times, like if you're more busy, you're not going to spend time there, and and you'll operate with a filter. And we don't always have to operate with a filter on social media. Right. Well, I'm never, I'm never on social media. And, Until and... the last couple of weeks, man. You've been, <laughs> right. you've been, cru- you've been cr- when I say crushing it, I mean you've, you are on there. Like you, Jeff Pearson, has been on Facebook hard. <laughs> Hockey stick. Been. Yeah. Well, on top of this, we actually, I created a, a stinking challenge for my family. Um, our neighbor cuts our hair. And she had been holding off, and my and Tanya had said, "Hey, this is a week ago. Could is could you any chance you could just cut everybody's hair in the backyard or something?" She's like, "Okay, maybe next week, next week." Yeah. And uh, then yesterday, um, my wife said, uh, uh, "Guess what? We're not getting our hair cut." She saw pictures of you touching people, oh, no. and so the haircuts are <laughs> off. I'm like, oh. "You screwed it! Oh, no. Look at all that!" <laughs> I got so much. Say anything. I'm gonna have hair down to my shoulders in two weeks. That makes me feel better because I was looking at him like in my head. That's a terrible haircut. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I got so much hair. It's ridiculous. I'm gonna need a hobo. I'm gonna need Zach's Floby in a week. The Floby's great. You could probably make some good money on eBay with that Floby right now, Zach. I might be able to. Yeah, we'll see. Things get thin. I'll sell it. Um, yeah, what's I share a lot of the frustrations that you have and similar questions. And this isn't a platform to get into all of the questions, but right. the frustration of things um, not being feeling like there's got to be a way to normalize, or or there's got to be a middle ground between full shutdown and people not being able to feed their family because they can't work and they don't have the means and a savings. They don't have a buffer like some of us have. And between that and like, let everybody go back to work and let's not care about coronavirus because it's fake. There's, there's gotta be a middle ground. Even, even if you have a lot of questions about the government response or the way the numbers are counted, I, I have a bunch of questions like that. Um, and so it's frustrating in the meantime, and that's a man. That's a huge conversation. So I share that. I share sure. a lot of the frustrations. I'm probably not with you on you know some of the other things, but um, that's not my point. It's it's just that social media is it's become a ground where there's either an A choice or a B choice, right? And there's no middle. There's no let's talk about this. Um, and that, and, and I, for some reason, people still feel led and feel like they're going to, to change the world. You had a little dose of that, Jeff, um, when you were on your crusades. Um, and, 
and <laughs> I just imagine Jeff like dressed in armor, <laughs> but like a uh, Monty Python style, <laughs> just riding like riding like a, a non-existent horse around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, questing. But it, it just it feel, it's unfortunate that the environment is such that if you can't pose questions that are counter to an official narrative, even if you're you're just like, hey, what about the I almost don't even want to raise specifics because I I'm not a conspiracy, this is fake or um yeah. I'm not I'm not there, but I have a lot of questions about a lot, a lot of things, but there's no room for questioning outside the norm or because there is a a gut response in general to you're killing people and I I feel like there's got to be room for a conversation of we've been killing people oh, all yeah. the time. Like I'm not comparing it to the flu. This is different than the flu. However, we have normalized other viruses and we normalize traveling by certain uh, modes of transportation that result in hundreds of thousands of injuries and deaths. And so maybe we should have been there all along. Maybe we should have been more cautious before. But to even broach that or introduce those conversations like, oh, so you want to kill people, which is unfortunate. Because guess what, guys? I don't want to kill people. Right. The of course. Of I don't course know what not. my point is for all that. I just started talking and. Right, but people, you know, don't want. Um, nobody wants anybody to be harmed, regardless. I guess unless you're. I won't even say it. The guy who wants to vaccinate the world, and he's like, "Well, we need some indemnifications here, so you know, if people do die, we can't get sued." But there's a whole lot out in the world so you that, won't say that good it's a good thing you weren't gonna say that because that would have been something yeah um <laughs> but we talked about this com- like hey p- people who are computer programmers they should just stick to computer programming <laughs> health professionals this is not the oh my god Two, it sure is i'm one of the three <laughs> andy yeah. speak Didn't sorry we say this like this was the um, it we we right at the beginning of the shutdown two maybe two three episodes ago when we said it, it feels like the punishment doesn't fit the crime and and that's it feels like we're full full circle now that we we're encountering that again yes it still feels like the punishment doesn't fit the crime is it is it bad yes should we be concerned with it yes should we be concerned with it to react to this level. Um, maybe. maybe not convinced. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not convinced. And time is going um, to, hey guys, time is going to tell. <laughs> time is going to tell. Time will tell. Is that a segue to end this segment? <laughs> time, time will tell if we can stand the test of time to quote <laughs> the amazing Van Halen. Actually, that was uh, Van Hagar. Hey, related. My wife has been told to watch this uh, Hulu sh- Hulu show called The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, it is, th- I 
it's been on for two years or a year or something like that. And we finally decided, oh, let's watch this. Disturbing and very applicable to today's society in the total control and takeover of government. And it, it is the preface of it is that the Constitution is gone. Congress and everybody's been annihilated and uh it's a different world it's like new world order stuff but so that's what is, you've been consuming it, well yet we started yesterday or the day before it, it's um my wife's got us at least slated for two more episodes tonight <laughs> but it, it's there's it's so a, good dude i love hunger games too <laughs> <laughs> seriously serious uh, have you uh, seen it andy uh no I have not added one more streaming service to my subscriptions. Okay. So, no. well, it was free for the month. So, we're going to binge three seasons and nice. knock it out. But I don't know if I'm going to make it. It's so, it's disturbing and it's, it feels too close to where we're at right now. Like things could just mm-hmm. swing in a different direction and, and all the people would just sit back and let it happen. And probably still be yelling at people like me, like, "How could you? You need to stay in your house." And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm. The point I'm making is, things can just be taken from us, and we'll sit back and just take it. It's like, yeah, who stepped? You. Who stepped up at the Boston Tea Party? Like, who stepped up at that point? What person? Someone has to step up, and then people are like, "Yes, let's go in the other direction." And the all Indians, you're <laughs> right. Thanks, Scott. Wow, that was great. Out <laughs> of the dark silence, Scott. Scott Welcome Scott. back, Scott. Indians. Scott, are you talking about the the colonists dressed up as Indians or the actual Indians? Cleveland Indians. Oh. Yeah, you're talking okay. about the Washington Redskins? Thanks, Scott. Or the Atlanta Braves? The Chiefs. Okay, any other uh, uh, offensive names we can bring up from the current day? I embrace those names. Uh, white yeah, I haven't heard of offensive one yet. So. Wait, wh- white um, man, uh, white man. Uh, what other offensive things are there in our society? I have a name. You're looking right at me. You know my name, Jeff. Just say it. You don't need to just call me. Oh, six foot three with the Afro white. six eight white man. Oh, I don't know. Hey, that's more appropriate. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> All right, so you're consuming that. Um, what what else are people consuming? I'll just say we've been binging through um, Christopher Nolan movies. Inception. Oh, nice. Inception, the oh, Bat, the yeah. Batman Begins trilogy, Bat, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Uh, kids ate those up, and those are that's a good trilogy. And it, oh, you let the kids watch the Joker one? I yes, and Lisa has reserv had and still has reservations. <laughs> it's not her favorite thing that that happened, but um, they both assured me they were ready. And I, I told Gwen, I'm like, hey, at any point we will stop this because I've scared her before with movies. And so how many nights has she been sleeping in your bed? She she was fine. Yeah, 
and and it it was fine. And those those are great movies, and it helped. The last I had recently seen a couple of um, I don't, I don't remember the compilation movies with Ben Affleck as Batman, hmm. whatever those are called. I I I'm not a fan of Ben Affleck as Batman, and so it was nice to cleanse the palate again. I would like to see Ben Affleck as his character from Goodwill Hunting as Batman. Nice. <laughs> Which is the oh, hot. Oh, the was over there. Yeah. Well, just we a need hard. to do something with him over there. Just a He's hot accent. The car. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. hardly ever over there. Uh, so that that's what we've been doing. In addition, still Red Dead Redemption to let die, or until a better game comes out. That's good. Andy? Um, I've been in the studio, holed up in the studio, working on music. That's been my primary consumption. Good for you. Which isn't good because my job requires me to sit on my butt all day long and then to continue the, the streak by sitting even longer. Yeah. Remember last time I was telling you my hips are bugging me? It yeah. Gotten, it's, it's getting it's worse. worse. It's getting worse. Yeah. But... um. But I, I have been enjoying um, being in the studio and writing music and recording, and I feel good about what I'm doing so far. That's good. Yeah. Scott, other than Indians, what have you been consuming? <laughs> you, be- <laughs> you eat Indians? Um, world? So I watched Rambo Last Blood yesterday, um, which I didn't even know existed until yesterday. And I regret watching that. <laughs> it was horrendous. Is it oh, the latest no. one? Uh, yeah. Am I well, I guess my... it's in the name. It's recent, isn't it? It's it, like he's old, right? Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. Oh, no. Rambo, no more blood. Yeah. <laughs> the blood is gone. Just was... about out of blood. Blood out of a turnip there. That was terrible. Uh, no, what, 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 I can imagine why it's bad, but can you uh, illuminate us a little bit on exactly what made it so bad? Uh, the, plot, the, plot was, the plot started out okay, but then uh, his plan was stupid. Um, <laughs> and then... <laughs> um, and then the way he finishes, the, the way it ends is, is terrible. Like he, he has all these cool uh, uh, booby traps and all these guns, claymores. Um, but then, but then there's one thing he has to do, and, he, and then he it, it, he gets shot. And it's like Rambo, you should have known, man. It was bad. Okay. All right, one star. <laughs> one star. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh let's close this ship down. We got Tom Ord on the hook and uh Jeff, tell us can you tell us about Tom Ord? Tom? Yeah. Uh, Tom's a uh, swell guy. Sorry, I was <laughs> ill prepared. Um, <laughs> to be to be honest and forthright. Oh, uh, no, Thomas Ord, uh, yeah, we will edit that out. Uh, Thomas Ord is a Christian. He's a pastor. He's a uh, ordained elder. He's uh, author of many, many, many books. Um, 
he uh zach you're laughing i hate that i can see your face i'm laughing at you <laughs> not at tom well i know i know uh but Th- thomas ord is uh, a theologian he is uh a teacher of uh is it nazarene i believe I don't know. Do you need me to stall while you look up the document? Yeah. Or you want me to just yeah. read it? I thought it, I was doing okay. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about Tommy Lasorda? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, Tom, Thomas J. Ord is a theologian, philosopher, and scholar of multidisciplinary studies. Zach, is this what you're looking for? Yeah, you're doing great. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just, you know, from memory, it just clicks. He's a human man. He's a man, <laughs> a human man. He <laughs> Uh, right. Let me continue. Thomas Ord is <laughs> Thomas Ord is a human. Uh, he is a man. He is a best-selling and award-winning author, having written or edited more than twenty-five books. He's a twelve-time. Oh, sorry. He's a twelve-time faculty award-winning professor. He teaches at institutions around the globe. He is the director of the Center for Open and Relational Theology. One of Scott's favorites. Ord is known for his contributions to research on love, open and relational theology, science and religion, and the implications of freedom and relationships for transformation. Tom Ord is coming. Beautiful. And for more on that, thomasjord.com. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my privilege. Yeah, I, I just, um, first of all, I want to know, wh- remind us where you live and what are the restrictions you're dealing with? Because I do see you getting out and about on Facebook and you've got some pretty awesome, um, well, they're, they're definitely awesome pictures of your hikes that you like to go on. Yeah, thank you for that. I live in Idaho, and uh, we are supposed to stay in our homes unless we're going to exercise or, you know, get food. So shelter in place, I think is the phrase. Uh, But, you know, in Idaho, it's pretty easy to get out all by yourself in the wilderness, either in the mountains with the uh, pine trees or out in the desert with the sagebrush. So I do a lot of hiking as my exercise, and I take along my camera. So a lot of space. We have a, f- a good friend that just moved there. Oh. So what, what part of Idaho? Outside of Boise in a town called Nampa. All right. Well, he's in the ballpark. Okay. That's, that's kind of fun. We'll, we'll be going out there to visit him. He's a longtime friend from this area. We're really sad to see him go, but I don't know. We'll, we'll just, maybe we'll run into each other out there one of these times. Yeah. I'll take you guys hiking. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. And one of the things you do on your pictures, I like the way you say, here is a picture I, do you say a picture I made or a picture I created? Either one, but usually made, yeah, instead of took. Yeah. What's the specific reason for that? I found that a little refreshing. Yeah, well, I think when people say I took a picture or I take pictures, it can give the impression that you're kind of, you know, got your iPhone up there and snapping away at things. But um, I put a lot of thought into my photographs in terms of composition, lighting, meaning, all that sort of stuff. And I think a photograph tells you something about the vision of the photographer. And so there's a creative element. So I like to say I make photographs rather than take photographs. 
I like that. Very nice. And uh, so in addition, you get, you get to get out and walk. We're in Southern California and depending on the county or the, um, the city you're in, some cities are a little bit stricter on things, but for the most part, it's relatively laid back. They'll close, they'll say trails are closed, but people are out on the trails. I I've been going for running and everybody's respectful and doing the distancing thing, but um, no extreme crackdowns or anything on our end. Although some people that surf, depending on which section of the water you're using, we've, I've heard of thousand dollar citations for surfing wow. in Laguna beach. Yeah. I've but, heard of no citations in Idaho. No, no enforcement that I know of, except, you know, obviously self-enforcement, but yeah. yeah, That's good. So you guys uh, got anything ready to dive into this, Jeff, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. Ready? So Scott, we, we were harassing Scott a little bit before this because Scott is a respectful guy and you can disagree at any point if you want, Scott, but I disagree with that first point, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a respectful guy and often he'll wait in the wings during either an interview or sometimes our own conversations where we're in person. And then at the very end, he's, he, ask the questions that open the can of worms and we're like scott we we have to go now so we gave him permission <laughs> he's he's kind of our resident bulldog um, Alrighty. <laughs> but i know he's gonna have some good questions for you for you so but the reason i invited you on again is we had multiple people from our church share a call or a, an essay from nt Wright, and then i saw you respond to it with your own uh short essay about the nature of God, what you agreed with it, what you didn't agree with. And also you being one of a few people that have been very helpful to me to see a bigger picture beyond my former view of, or my former Christianity or view of God, like kind of fundamental ish. Mm -hmm. And uh, which has been super helpful for me. So thank you for that. But um seeing you write a rebuttal i'm like oh and 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 then seeing also the the news reports of churches that are some churches are still in session the reasons why some churches are still meeting um i think one woman was asked by a reporter and she said we're covered by the blood of jesus Hmm. so basically we're not going to get coronavirus uh because of jesus and, and everything in between so and you're a guy that speaks on God's nature based on the love of God, God's nature being love. Maybe define that and, and um, I guess jump in however you want with this and we'll get going. Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me for this conversation. That essay that I wrote in response to N.T. Writer, I'm a friend of his. We call him Tom instead of N.T., but nice. I sent him a copy of that as well. And, and, uh, he responded by saying, you know, the, uh, he didn't choose the title of his particular piece, but he did write the piece. And in that, he talks a lot about uh, the, well, he doesn't use this word, but I'll say the crappy pro- uh, answers people are giving to God and, and the coronavirus. And uh, he obviously wants to stay away from bad answers. And he emphasizes this idea that perhaps we ought to lament and that uh, lament ought to be our approach 
And he says specifically that we shouldn't seek for explanations. And that's where I criticized him or objected. And I think if he had a chance to write a longer essay, he'd, well, he even his response, he, he agreed with me on that. But uh, yeah, I do have an explanation. <laughs> Sounds cocky, but uh, an explanation for why a loving and powerful God doesn't just stop the coronavirus right now. All right, or How's, or doesn't uh, doesn't stop it, and maybe didn't start it, or couldn't start it, couldn't stop it. That's right. Yeah, I don't think God is causing or allowing the virus, the pandemic, to punish us or teach us a lesson or say we've been rebellious or idolatrous and, you know, bring us back to God or develop our characters. Um, all those kinds of answers to me uh, paint God as unloving. I think a God, God's not in the business of killing people and injuring and harming and hurting many, many uh, just to, you know, somehow convince us that we need to focus on love more than hate or whatever it is that people are saying we ought to focus on. So, um, yeah, I don't have a God who controls. And so that makes a difference in how I think about not only God uh, not being able to cause or prevent evil, but also not stopping it once uh, something like a pandemic gets rolling. That's good. So I guess, can you define, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but can you yeah. just define what love, when you say God is love, what does that mean to you? Yeah, uh, I have a definition. How's that for you? Yeah. <laughs> to love is to act intentionally in response to God and others to promote overall well-being. So some people, I mean, that word love has so many different uses, so many different meanings. But some people use the word love in the sense of something you like or desire. And I think God likes and desires creation. I don't have any problem with that idea. But uh, sometimes I'll say things like, God loves the coronavirus. And when people hear that, they, sound, they think I'm saying God likes that it's doing the harm that it's doing in the world. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that God's desire for well-being is not just for humans, not just for complex creatures like our dogs and chimps, bonobos and elephants, but God loves every last thing down to the smallest things of reality. And since uh, viruses are things in reality, God even loves viruses, which means God wants their well-being as well. Hey, Tom. Uh, so you, in defining love, I, it sounds like a, that's um, in relation to humans and how humans should love. Because in, their, in that definition, you said it's, it's a response to God. So is there, would you have a more nuanced or different definition for what, for the definition of love um, in regards to God and how God loves? Yeah, great question. No, I have the exact same definition. I think God responds to others and God's own self, which would be God's nature and God's past actions. But this is an important point in theological issues, uh, studies, but also in just sort of everyday conversations, because some people will say, well, you know, God's love is just so different from us. It's so beyond our imagination. God's an infinite God. We're finite creatures. Who are we to know what God's love is about? If you take that approach, then you might as well just throw any word in there instead of love. 
I think we have to have a real uh, correspondence between divine love and creaturely love. Now, there's some ways in which God's love will be different. For instance, I'm not capable of loving every last thing in the entire universe and however many universes there are. God's omnipresent. God can do that. I can't. God's been loving everlastingly. You know, I've been around 50 some years and I'm not consistent in my loving, et cetera, et cetera. But the definition applies both to God and to creatures. All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for unmuting <laughs> yourself. <laughs> this is a podcast, Scott. <laughs> yeah, one of the you on your um on your response what you open what you disagree with, you use the verse first Peter three fifteen, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. And you take this, you say, I take this verse to mean we should seek explanations for what God might be doing during the pandemic. I find numerous biblical passages offering explanations of God's action and response to suffering. And I'm, I'm totally down with that personally, but playing a little bit of uh, advocacy for the devil. um, I, I imagine some people taking issue with, defining it like that like that's the that's the basically that's the verse that gives us permission to argue against atheists and prove prove god's existence over theirs or why our view of god is superior and yeah. uh maybe flesh that out if you don't mind yeah i mean a lot of people have taken that verse and done harm and i can include myself amongst those people <laughs> i used to be a really hardcore door-to-door evangelist campus crusade for christ you know share jesus with people on the plane that kind of person and sometimes in those conversations i got a little out of hand thinking i could prove there was a god or prove that my ways were the right ways and everybody else was an idiot and that sort of thing i don't mean that I mean that when we need to give an account of the hope we have within us, that we ought to seek for the best answers we can find, the most plausible answers, all the while realizing we can't know God fully, that God's, you know, there's always going to be some element of mystery, but not playing that mystery card in the kind of way some people do, which is, you know, whenever the problem of evil comes up, they just say, well, you know, God's ways just aren't our ways. Uh, no, I think we ought to have the most plausible account of what we think God is up to and what the world is like, but be humble in saying we can't know this with certainty. So it's like a um, uh, an extension, a logical extension. If if there's true freedom and free will, it's like taking this all the way out. Because I feel like a lot of Christians, myself included, still, even though I'm I'm mostly on board with with the open view of the fr- future. It kind of makes sense that we actually have free will. And what does that mean if we take it? It's, it's how we live. We don't not brush our teeth and say, God, if, I want, if I'm going to get tooth decay, it's only if it's God's will. We brush our teeth or not. I know people that don't do it as much, but um, we, it's like we yeah, want to have... for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we want... Uh, we want our spiritual cake and eat it too kind of a thing where it's yeah. like we we want to leave open and I guess there always is the possibility of not, we don't know anytime we're describing how God works we're falling short and so there is always mystery in my in my head for that part of it but 
I like the idea of the logical consistency of, of extending this, this free will thing, but excellent. I feel like a lot of, um, well, last week we were talking about an article that we saw from Francis Chan. And I don't know if he's a Calvinist or reformed. I, I don't know th- that much about him, but the way he was speaking about this coronavirus being a gift for people in that God is calling you to get off the treadmill and unplug and slow down and, you know, a a good lesson to learn in the midst of this, but some of the language is God did this so that you can do this. Yeah. And which is it, it offends me sometimes based on my experience with personal tragedy and so forth. It's, or the people I, luckily the three of us are working. We're not out of work based on this, at least so far, but we're also connected to people that serve communities that, most people do not work and it's a struggle to find food and to pay for, pay the bills, pay for food and all that stuff. And so putting myself in their shoes, it's like, yeah, a gift to unplug from the treadmill. Great. I can't feed my family. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think in these kinds of situations, there are going to be some positive benefits that come from this. And what some people are going to do is they're going to say, look, I believe God is a God of love. God is, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and I'm seeing something good that comes out of this. Maybe I'm finally getting around to writing the book that I've never written, or I'm spending more time with my family than I ever have, or whatever it is they they talk about. And then they'll say, well, if God is the source of good, and I'm seeing some good, God must have either caused or allowed the bad that I've had to suffer, and other people are suffering. And I think there's a way you can um, accept the good without having to blame God for the bad. And I would say it this way, God squeezes whatever good can be squeezed from the evil God didn't want in the first place. And that way of understanding it, we don't have to blame God for evil or say that in some mysterious divine plan, everything works out for a reason, but we can say God never gives up on rotten situations, bad things, evil. God works to redeem and squeeze something good in cooperation with us and creation out of the crap God didn't want. Yeah, how do you how do you imagine the the boots like how does it look like God squeezing the good out of every situation? I I have a hard time with well I guess confession, I, I leave like, okay, whatever God is doing or not doing, I don't know for sure, but it feels like more of what God is doing is through his children. Does that make sense? How does that look for you? I mean, I make an even stronger case than that. I say God always acts, but the kind of results God wants to see in the world require creaturely cooperation. And when I say creaturely cooperation, I don't just mean free will creatures like you and me. I mean, absolutely everything that exists has a role to play in cooperating with God or undermining the kinds of results God wants in the world. Take, again, let's go back to the coronavirus. 99 point something percent of viruses in the world are doing good. We would not have a good world if there weren't viruses. But sometimes viruses cause harm. 
I think God doesn't want that kind of harm, doesn't want the pandemic we're currently seeking. So that means God is working in relation to this um, virus in the kind of ways God can do that persuasively acting in certain ways. And, you know, I don't think viruses have free will and they're not conscious, but God is present and they have some kind of agency. And so God is working in relation to that agency, calling, persuading, guiding toward the good instead of the evil. So God is always at work at all levels, depending on the kind of responsive capacities of the creatures or entities involved. And God isn't somehow orchestrating everything in a, in a uh, controlling kind of way. Okay. And I think a lot of times we don't see, well, we don't see what God's up to until it's, it's been, it's been done. I mean, yeah. it, we don't have, and we can pray and live a godly life as much as we want, but ultimately we don't know we don't know what God's up to. And then we look, you look back 20 years and you connect the dots and you just, you're in awe of, you're like this, there's no other but God that just allowed all of this to play out. And, and yeah, I'm not even say God allows it as if God could have determined right. it. I right. mean, some people use the word allow and they don't mean that. Bad but, choice uh, of words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just to kind of take your, your comments, literally, you say we can't see what God is doing. Man, I think that's a profound statement. I mean, the Christian tradition has said you can't perceive God with your five senses. You can't literally see God walking through the Kmart parking or Walmart parking lot. You can't literally sniff God over your whatever all those things god is is beyond our five senses and so philosophers and theologians over the centuries have wrestled with well then if you can't sense god with your five senses then how do you perceive god's acting in the world or in your lives and we have all kinds of language to try to articulate that like uh, a still small voice an intuition we infer God's activity based upon certain activities in the world. Um, I, as a philosopher, I use language like non-sensory perception. There's all kinds of things that we talk about. But yeah, you can't see God walking around. And so you have to make judgments about what God might be up to. And for me personally, I'm committed to the idea that God is fundamentally a loving being and can't even do evil because it's against God's nature. So I interpret reality based on that kind of view, and it seems to make sense of life. In fact, let me say one quick point here because I was going to say it earlier in response to Zach. Um, Zach was talking about how my view emphasizes free will, and um, you know I don't. I, I said I said earlier that I don't think viruses have free will, but they have some kind of agency that God can't control. The interesting thing about the way humans are trying to respond to this current pandemic is to do things like put on masks, shelter in, you know, in, in their place, avoid too much contact, all these kinds of things that kind of sound like what we do matters. <laughs> it kind of sounds like our decisions make a real difference on what happens with this virus. And that fits perfectly with my theology. Or to put it another way, the way we all actually live our lives is the kind of theology I'm proposing in the name of a God of love. 
Scott, you, I, if I felt like you were, you, uh, you, your body language indicated you had some thoughts. <laughs> I went, I went from laying back to, <laughs> to leaning forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you, you mentioned, um, evil, um, and, and that God can't do evil. And I think that's a standard, um, Orthodox Christian belief that the God is not the author of evil, but I think most people equate evil with sin. Uh, are you um, are you defining evil in a particular way? I, I think before you mentioned murder and uh, or killing um, and a couple of other things that God can't do. Um, so are you yeah are you defining evil in a, in a particular way there? Yeah, let me start off by giving you a kind of formal philosophical definition of evil and then kind of dive into the weeds on how that is similar to but different from sin. Beautiful. So uh, I would define evil. A genuinely evil event is any event that all things considered makes the world worse than it might have been had some other possible event happened. How's that for philosophical gibberish? <laughs> anyway, the idea is this. Things happen in the world that we can really imagine another possibility could have been a reality. Usually we understand that personally, like, you know, I ate way too much ice cream and I could have used self-regulation, self-control. That and was last like night for me. No, <laughs> no joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me too. Anyway. <laughs> um, so. Evil events make the world worse than it might have otherwise been. Notice that that's a category big enough to account for pandemics, even though I don't think viruses have free will, for volcanic eruptions, for all kinds of what philosophers call natural evils and moral evils like murder, rape, torture, incest, whatever. So um, I think of evil as a broad category and sometimes evils occur by accident or by agents that don't have true freedom. Other times they are generated by free creatures. I think sin is something that a person voluntarily does in response to something they know they shouldn't do. Or instead of loving, they do something else. They seek their own pleasure or they seek power or whatever. There's all kinds of sins we could talk about. So this means that while I think sin always results in evil in the sense that it makes the world worse than it could have been because the person is morally choosing otherwise, evils aren't always sins. Sometimes evil occurs because no one voluntarily did something wrong. You want to follow up on that, Scott? Oh uh, No, that, that's, uh, that's really good. Um, uh, man, I want to... I wanna... <laughs> I want to uh, I want to start a conversation, but I'm going to wait just a little bit because okay. So that we might not go there in the podcast. Oh, okay. Um, but, Look at um, you! You're growing, Scott. Because <laughs> it does have to do with the free will aspect. Nice. Um, okay. And man, um, just ask the question, I mean, Scott. <laughs> all right. So it goes along. So a couple of the the. the um, concepts that you you've said which I, mean, I i i like um uh, so the idea of a loving god and then the idea of free will 
And I'm not sure that we've we've tied those two things together yet in this podcast, but I know that in you, whether in your your books or your writings, I've heard Zach uh, say it numerous times that the link between the love of God and human free will and what that means or how that defines or how how God being love works with human free will and how that limits God or how God limits himself, however you want to say it, um, yeah. uh, in yeah, regards I, to acting in this world. Yeah, I could talk a long time about that, so, but I'm going to try to keep my response pretty short. Uh, I'm not the only theologian who will say that it's God's love that brings, makes it possible for creaturely free will. And so a very common view is that God acts moment by moment, and in that action provides as a gift, we might say, to, of freedom to complex creatures. And I think gifts of agency to less complex creatures, but we'll stick with free will just for a moment. So this is an act of love on God's part because God uh, realizes that true giving and receiving relationship requires this kind of free response. Now, what many theologians will say is that God gives that freedom voluntarily. God could decide not to give it sometimes or could give it and then decide to take it away, override it. And it's God's prerogative as the sovereign creator of the universe to make free decisions on whether or not to give freedom to creatures. And there, at face value in the Bible, there's many examples that appear to be like that. Many people interpret the Bible like that, but I yeah. can't think of a single actual explicit statement about that. Interesting. Uh, but most people uh, come, to the, come to the text with that kind of idea in mind. My view is that God necessarily gives freedom. God can't take that freedom away. That means God can't override it. And we're truly freedom free, even though our freedom is limited. We're not free to do anything. But So I, I call it genuine but limited freedom. And I don't think there's a passage in the entire scripture from the creation of the world to hardening Pharaoh's heart to Jesus' resurrection to the eschatological fulfillment that explicitly says God alone acted to bring about results and there was no creaturely contribution or conditions of creation didn't make some kind of, didn't play a factor in, in the outcomes. Hmm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> um, all right. So I'm trying to I'm trying to think of um, because you you worded that question very or you you worded that very specifically yeah. an example of God doing something single handedly or unilaterally, um, and not using means human means to accomplish that. Yeah, I, I tried uh, to say it really specifically that God did something single-handedly and the Bible explicitly says there was no co creaturely contribution or creation wasn't involved in some way. Oh, what if we just take that you mentioned Pharaoh's heart, what do you make yeah. of that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, in the passages, at least twice, perhaps more often, 
the Bible says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. So there, right there in the text, you've got Pharaoh's agency playing a role in what's happening here. Nice. Secondly, um, you know, why do we need to interpret hardening Pharaoh's heart as a taking away of all of Pharaoh's freedom? I'm not the only Maybe scholar. Take that, Calvinists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know several really important biblical scholars who make this argument. You know, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart has just people have jumped to this conclusion that, oh, God took away his free will. But that's not the text doesn't have to be interpreted that way. We can talk about Pharaoh and God acting and Pharaoh hardening his own heart and there being kind of these habits of negativity or sin, just like we know it's true of our own lives sometimes, right? And so once you get in a certain habit, it's really hard to break it. Um, yeah, so I think there's something in the Hebrew or something similar to an idiom um, that that hardening of the heart is some, some, something like elevating or I forget, but it's, it's really cool to look it up. Um, actually, there's a, a YouTube channel called Islam Critiqued. Um, and he goes through that. It's, cool. it's a really cool explanation. So it's not just, it just, it adds a lot to the understanding of what Pharaoh is doing. Um, but it, going back to um, uh, God doing things unilaterally. Yeah. I think, I think I have a few examples. Okay. <laughs> um, a little over 20. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I, I'm just, I'm not sure. And that's why I was kind of, I was thinking about the, your specific how you yeah how you specifically phrase that so maybe some will fit maybe some won't um All right, if, well, if let, can... let me add one more thing before you give your list and maybe this will <laughs> knock a few out or <laughs> maybe they won't um okay. there are plenty of biblical passages that only mention god is acting so in other words I'm, I'm on board with the idea that sometimes only God is mentioned as an actor. I'm also on board with the idea that sometimes creatures aren't cooperating, but that doesn't mean all creatures weren't cooperating. Um, so I don't know if that knocks any out of your list or not, but so with that qualification yeah. in, make, in mind, uh, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, I purposefully left out any... any um uh invasions or um taking into slavery or anything like that i i, yeah. I didn't think that, that would because i'm because that, that's a that's a very big question it says god says i will bring nebuchadnezzar against you but how how does that work exactly i, I i'm not sure anyone can can know yeah yeah um, how god somehow influenced nebuchadnezzar to come against israel um so yeah, I left those things like that out. So great. I'll, I'll try to uh, <laughs> I'll try to pare them down here. Um, okay. So the first one, um, the big is a big one. The flood. Um, the flood is a natural a natural disaster, quote unquote. Uh, but it's described as God looking and seeing that the hearts of men were only evil continuously, and that and, and so judgment comes based upon that um now 
how, how God brings the flood and, and has the springs of the earth clean open. Um, but so those could be natural, but it's it's attributed to God because of a particular thing. Um, so uh, now there are other things like God appearing to people in various forms, whether um, sending uh, you know appearing to, to Abraham, um, uh, sending angels like to Jacob, and, and Jacob wrestles with the angel uh, appearing to Moses in the burning bush. Um, all, all those examples, of course, blinding, blind, blinding Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, Why don't we pause right there? Those are a couple of good examples, Scott. Yeah. Maybe dive so in, far, Tom. I haven't heard anything that undermines my views, but I can see how these would be, at least their usual interpretation might uh, lead anyone, Scott, in this case, in that direction. So let's start with the flood one. Um, if the passage said something like uh, God saw their hearts, they were wicked. God decided to send a flood and there was no creaturely cooperation or the conditions of creation had no contribution in any way. Then that would be a, a, an example against my view. But just because some people have hardened or have uh, aren't cooperating with God doesn't mean that all creation's not cooperating with God. And at my level, God works at all levels of existence, including water molecules and all that sort of stuff. So um, that one doesn't um, undermine me. What was this? The second one was, I've forgotten it already. Um, God appearing in various ways. Oh, yes. People. Okay. Yeah. So like when God appears in this, the form of an angel or a messenger, depending on what passage you're looking at there, um, I think a lot of Christians have said, well, that's a way that God acts through agents in the world. And so, you know, this word that we sometimes translate as messenger or angel can be a messenger. And sometimes it sounds like it's a human. Other times it sounds like it's someone with wings. But in either case, if it's a human or a winged creature, it's still a, a creature that God is uh, acting in or through or with and however whichever language you like. So if the passage said something like God appeared to Abraham and there were no creaturely agents cooperating with God, then mine would have a hard time. Maybe I should say this. Um, notice that what I'm putting on the table is to say that in order to find a biblical text that undermines my view, you not only have to have God acting, but you've got to have all these statements that says creation didn't cooperate at, at any form of creation from water molecules to humans. That's a pretty high bar. Um, now, when you say cooperate, in an, uh, okay, well, let, let me try a couple. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now, cooperate in a natural way because if it's supernatural, would like a miracle, would that? Mm, excellent question. That's, yeah. That's a very big intervention because it's not acting because they don't have free will. They're these molecules, they can't yeah. change nature. Only God can change their nature. Yeah. So I usually say it like this, Scott. 
that creatures either have to cooperate or the conditions of creation have to be conducive for the miracle to occur. Because I don't think water has free will to cooperate, but I think there are conditions of water that sometimes are right for the kind of miracle. So I can really affirm the miracles of the Bible and the miracles of today. I mean, the legitimate ones of today, et cetera. But with, by saying that God really acts, but either creatures respond, and notice I have responsiveness amongst cells in our bodies and those kinds of things, or the inanimate aspects of creation, water molecules, dirt, et cetera, were conducive for that kind of miracle. So I can affirm these miracles. Now, the question I think a lot of people have asked over the years is, look, if God can do miracles in some places, why doesn't God do miracles in all these places? You know, <laughs> God heals my aunt from cancer. Why doesn't he heal everybody's aunt's aunt from cancer? And I suspect you guys know the kind of usual answers that I at least don't find satisfying, like it's a part of God's master plan or mysterious God's ways, mysterious ways or God's punishing people, whatever. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess, I guess I'd have to go back because, um, to, to what, what, what this means, because in, in the universe and God can't do anything unilateral because everything is made of matter or is made of something that has a natural course. So with, with, if, if that's the criteria, then God can't do anything anywhere. Yeah. I, let me tweak your language just a little bit. I think I'm going to end up having a point similar to the one you want to make, but the tweaking is going to make a difference. I think God acts everywhere in the universe. God does stuff everywhere in the universe, but God never single-handedly brings about outcomes. So there has to be some kind of cooperation or the conditions of creation have to be conducive for the ends God wants. So like okay. the illustration I often use is, uh, you know, 30 plus years ago, I'm in a restaurant with my girlfriend. I reach into my pocket. I pull out the ring. I say, will you marry me? I acted unilaterally, but in order for this, this, what's that? Does your wife know about this? <laughs> yeah, she does know because she was the one at the table. It was the time. <laughs> <laughs> but in order for us to be engaged, she had to respond, right? Appropriately. She had to say, yes, she could say no. She could thwart my plans. Even though I acted, she could thwart the results I want to see. If we think yeah. about God like that, God is acting everywhere in the universe and given the capacities of responsiveness of agents or the conditions of creation. Yes, I think your general point you're, you're aiming at is God can't get the results God wants unless creatures respond appropriately or the conditions are conducive for those. And okay, that's so right. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm wondering how that's a, a beneficial view of God yeah. um, in regard in, in trying to make that, a distinction between God doing something unilaterally and God not doing something unilaterally. Yeah. Even if God does something and, re, and requires the cooperation of some material or creative yeah. thing, it still puts you in, it seems, puts you in the same position to have to answer why God does anything. So a couple of examples. 
so Moses, we he go, uh, uh, he's doing the, the um the miracles, the, the, the ten plagues, and the particular plague of the frogs. He God God tells Moses, say Mo, uh, yeah, God tells him to save the Pharaoh. Um, at, tell Pharaoh to give you to tell you the day that he wants the frogs gone, so that way he will know that God Yahweh has caused this. And then there's another example of David when he takes the census in rebellion against God, and God says, "Okay, you've done this. I'll give you three choices." So that you will know that what comes about is from me. And then David picks pestilence. So whether whether it's God requiring means or not, you're, I think you it just seems that you still end up in that same place. And then I guess going back to the creation of the universe and the world, God didn't. I guess that would be the ultimate example of God doing something without means, unless you want to say that it was through the Holy Spirit or he spoke a word and that somehow gets gets that view off the hook. But I just don't see how it changes much on God doing yeah. something, even though he's using means. Yeah. So let me start with the last point you made. And I think you have an excellent insight there. This view of God that I'm proposing requires rejecting the idea that God creates the universe out of absolutely nothing. In Latin, this is called creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. The good news, however, of that is that creation out of nothing isn't in the Bible. In other words, I have the Bible on my side on this one. <laughs> <laughs> most people are being, most people right now are thinking, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to get into some details on that, I can, but. Um, the, Aren't the you writing main, a book about that? Yeah, I've got a book about half done, a, a long blog series. So it's, there's actually some stuff available if you want to look into that, but I haven't finished that book. Anyway, um, so that's a really great point that you, you say there, Scott. And I think we have biblical reasons to reject the idea that God ever creates out of absolutely nothing. My own view is God always creates in relation to that which God previously created, and that creative chain is everlasting. But okay, but to your examples, I don't see that those undermine my view of the, the one, the second one I thought is particularly interesting, the David uh, and the census. Uh, one of the other books says that Satan asked David to take that census. So we've got a really interesting I think people, people try to make it more interesting than it is. Um, uh, and I keep brought this example up a few years ago, um, but it's it's not so. Reading that, reading that carefully, it says that the anger of the Lord caused David, not that God caused David. It was God's response because yeah. God punished David previously. Yeah. And so David was responding how... to that, not yeah. not that God caused David. And so it was Satan that used God's what God did to um, 
to uh, get David to take to rebel against God again. Yeah, yeah I think that's clear in the show. So I th- that- yeah, I think this brings up a, an important distinction that I probably should have brought in earlier. The passage you brings up brings uh, you bring up, I think, fits my view just fine because David is the one who's taking the sense inspired either by God or God's wrath or Satan, whatever. There's creaturely agents involved here. But one thing I didn't say earlier is this, uh, Scott. Um, I think there are some passages of scripture that misrepresent what God does, not in the sense that they say God does things single-handedly. I can't find any that say that. But there are some passages of Scripture that say God wants or commands what seems to be evil. You know, the violence text of the Bible, you know, the uh, bashing the baby's heads against the rocks. And I'm willing to say, uh, Scott, that sometimes the biblical writers simply get God wrong by attributing evil to God, which seems like evil to me. That's different from saying God does it single-handedly. I can't find any there, but I can find lots of passages that portray God as wanting the Israelites to do things that are evil that I think they just get that wrong. What about parting of the sea and, and, and swallowing or uh, killing all yeah. of the... Uh, and after, the this, after this one, let's... Uh... Let's move on. Yeah, I appreciate it. all okay. these are great. I I love. Yeah. I wish we had all the time in the world. I do this all night. I know Jeff doesn't agree with that, but <laughs> quick answer to the uh, parting of the sea. I actually deal with that in the last chapter of my book, "The Uncontrolling Love of God," and bring in some theories from uh, um, some chaos theory from physics, quantum stuff to account for that. So. I won't go into details here, but I can send you that chapter when we're done here. And what was the other example you gave? Uh, was it the fish? No. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> We've said a few. Yeah. There's always, like, I've that's got, the be- I've got more. I've got I know. more, but we're probably Good. out of time. Maybe I could send you an email or something. I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. So, right, I, so I have... What do you okay? You previously mentioned some of the phrases that don't measure up, like the trite phrases. Yeah. Um, and I have a phrase. What What do you think about God is not in control, but God is in charge? And full disclosure, this is something that uh, I, I used to love. I'm not sure how I feel about it right now. Um, yeah. And the the pastor of Jeff and our church. Uh, uses it sometimes, and I know why people use it, and I think it's light years better than God is in control. Yeah. But I, I struggle with it. What do you think about that one? I don't really like it, but I appreciate the motive of the people who use it as a way to try to yeah. get away from God is in control. Uh, because if somebody is in charge of some situation, you get the the impression that the results of that situation are under the power of the person in charge. So maybe you say, uh, look, uh, um, the person in charge here made sure that everything worked out, but did so by telling everyone else to do the right thing. So the person didn't directly make sure, you know, let me let me come up with an example. So this is a little less vague. Let's say um, let's say you're let's say Jeff, since Jeff hasn't spoken much so far, Jeff wants to feed ice cream to 500 kids. 
He's in charge. Jeff. Thank you. (laughs) Jeff is in charge of the ice cream project and he gets 20 people to scoop ice cream into cones to give to 500 people. Now they cooperate with him. The, The event turns out to be a success. And even though he was in charge, he didn't actually do all the scooping. So that's the way sometimes people want to talk about God. God doesn't do everything, but the results that are that come about are what God either allows or intends in some way. And boy, tell that to a rape victim. Yeah, God didn't cause your rape, but God was in charge of the rapist. Yeah, it just flops pretty big in my mind. Uh, so well, it seemed, I'm sorry, go continue. Yeah, I I just don't think the I, I, I appreciate the motive behind switching that around, but I don't think it rings very hopeful in the minds and hearts of people who've been abused. Yeah, and I, I think like earlier, there was a, a word I used and I said, okay, that's a bad choice of words. Uh, maybe the word control is just not it's just not the right word. I realize people say, you know, God's in control. But if you asked people to really describe that, maybe it's about being present. Like God's, God's always present with me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm putting words into people's mouths. So um, it, they might truly believe like God's orchestrating every step of the way um, or not. But I like present and I'll even make it stronger. God is present and actively working for good in every situation. That sounds a little more more than just saying God is passively there. God is really an agent, but it's not promising the everything is going to work out all right kind of thing that God is in control seems to suggest, at least to me. Hmm. And And it may just be something that people say, um, just yeah. to feel feel good in the moment or it's something that we just like saying hey how you how's it going and we don't yeah. really we don't really want a response um a lot of times people are just in passing and- that's a really good point and and i want to be clear that i don't judge the motives of most people who use these answers that i don't i don't like I think most people have good motives. They're grasping for answers. They're wanting to give some comfort when they totally. say, th- you know, when they say things to me like, you know, hey, God's got a plan for you when I'm going through a difficult time. I want to punch them in the nose. But really what they're trying to say <laughs> is, hey, you know, I'm with you. I'm supporting you. You know, right. God is still present. So I, I don't question their motives. Yeah, yeah. you, you kind of have to, no matter where, especially if you've if experienced something terrible or know somebody on a firsthand basis that like the worst possible thing has happened you just have to assume ignorance before malevolence because (laughs) most people you know they're not there they're they're trying to help and and i for the record i love todd and i don't want that to be seen as a dig i just i'm wrestling over all this stuff all the time and i know i know ultimately (laughs) some of this stuff may not be answerable and that's okay with me i still prefer the wrestling versus well let's just be ignorant or not not worry about it too much yeah well and i think there's some people i mean i know people personally and i know famous people in history 
who are really comforted by saying God is in control. They go through the worst crap in the world and it gives them a sense of comfort to say, you know, God's still on the throne or whatever. It doesn't comfort me yeah, <laughs> and a lot of people I know, but for some people that God is in control line really does give them comfort. Um, and so, you know, so and you're you're dialing in, and I I know we just have a couple more minutes. That's right, I got time. Um, the it's touching on what does sovereignty mean? What's the sovereignty of God? What is yeah. what is that? Because I I'm hearing voices of a couple of friends, yeah, and they know who they are. Uh, that the question is, well, this it sounds like God doesn't is not sovereign in yeah. in this whole view. And what what's your response to that, or how do you define sovereignty? Yeah. So, you know, the word sovereignty, omnipotence, almightiness, these are all words that I can use, but um, I want to try to be careful about how I define them. The word I like to use is almighty, but even that one can have certain connotations to some people that I don't like. But this is what I mean by almighty. God is, first of all, mightier than all others. So to quote the psalmist, God has no equals. Secondly, God exerts might or influence upon all others. To use philosophical language, God is a necessary cause in the becoming of every last thing in any universe that exists. Mm. So God's a necessary cause. God's almighty in that sense. And God is almighty in the sense of being the source of might for all creation on God, we live and move and have our being. God provides the capacity for our freedom and responses, etc. God can be almighty in those three senses. And that sounds to me like a pretty strong God and yet be unable to control anyone or anything. So you can have a God who's got real power, but just not controlling power. And that's the proposal I, I have for you guys to consider. That is deep. Yeah. So, and we, man, it's almost like, well, for me, what is, what is easy for me to do right now? And I, it's where I believe the most. I use words like if there is a God and Scott's like, wait, what, what? And I've heard you do similar things, Tom, which is really refreshing. You'll, you'll say, you know, if, if there's a God and sometimes I'm not sure, or you say a version of that, it's refreshing for that kind of honesty because I think a lot of people in leadership positions or prominent, they have prominent positions like you do, more than the average person, to hear somebody say, and I still struggle with that, that's, it's beautiful. It's a breath of fresh air for me. Good. But um, the, where was I going with that? Man. Help me out, Jeff. Are you listening? Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, it's a great path you're you're creating there. I know. I know. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> oh, that that I think I was going to. Oh, I was going to. I was trying to end up at prayer. I don't. Uh, I lost my oh. train of thought. But kudos to Tom, and just just acknowledging that we, there's so much we don't know in the purest sense of knowing almost yeah. we don't know 
anything really, if you're going to hold to a strict definition, that doesn't mean full on relativity or anything, but I just appreciate that about you. Thanks. I mean, I, I, I have been a place in my life and I know many people today who think that a really mature Christian is certain about yeah. God. And I say to that person, whatever happened to faith? It seems like at the very heart of what it means to believe her. Now, some people hear faith and they think blind faith. You know, chuck out all your reasons, chuck out all your evidence, your arguments, the Bible, just believe blindly. I don't buy that either. There's a place between being absolutely certain and having blind faith that I think is fruitful. I call it plausible religion or reasonable trust. It's a way to combine those factors that says, you know what, I'm trying to make sense of my life, the world, God. I can't know things with certainty, but there's certain ways of thinking, certain models that make a lot more sense to me than others. And here's a model, the model I'm talking to you guys today about, I call the uncontrolling love of God model. Here's a model to, way, to think about God and God's relationship with us. It seems to make the most sense to me. I'm not certain about it. In fact, if you come up with a better model, I'll switch to yours. But this is the love model it. that I like the best, given all the factors, the good, the bad, the evil, the beauty, etc. That's good. So I have, I, I know we talked about prayer last time on, um, this, this uncontrolling love of God, the, the idea that God can't because of God's nature really affects how we pray and yeah. full disclosure. I, I, I have like my former self always nudging me. Like whenever I'm talking to God or trying to engage that way, my former self is self is like, this is how you pray. You ask for things. You, yeah. and, and my current self, there's like a real battle going on internally. Mm -hmm. And so my prayer life is a mess, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but how do we, given your template that you, this uncontrolling love, how do you pray and how would you counsel people to pray if you even do that in this current situation we're going through? Yeah. Um. I do pray, and here I'm assuming you mean something like petitionary prayer, asking yeah. God to actually do things. I do pray. Um, can I tell you my view of prayer by comparing it with a couple other views and why my view makes more sense to me than the other views? Is that Absolutely. All right. Let's say you have a view of God that says God really does control absolutely everything. This is John Calvin's God who predestined and foreknows everything from the foundation of the world. Or the other John Piper. Or John Piper. <laughs> if that's your view of God, how can you make sense of praying and asking God to do something as if God's going to do something new that God hasn't already predetermined God's going to do? I mean, petitionary prayer makes really no sense to me. I can't get motivated to be to pray and ask God to do something if everything's already been settled. Most people don't follow John Piper. Most people seem to think that God could, on occasion, step in and single-handedly fix something, heal your Aunt Mary of leukemia. And they think that our prayers might motivate God to do that. 
So think about what this means. You got a God in this particular view who can single-handedly fix stuff and a God who's apparently perfectly loving and a God who's a whole lot smarter than you and me, omniscient. Why pray? I mean, is, it, is God sort of on the sidelines going, you know, you got to beg and plead for me to get off my butt and do something here. Or is God saying, you know, you haven't prayed 892 times. You got to keep working at this. Those aren't pictures of a loving God. That's how I always prayed. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've got a God who can single-handedly get results, whatever results God wants in the world, and is perfectly loving, and is smarter than you, why pray and ask that God to do something that God in love is going to do even if you don't ask. I mean, imagine if my daughter is drowning in a lake and she doesn't call out for help. Am I going to say, you know, she hasn't asked me to jump in and save her. I'm not going to help. No, I'm going to go after her, even if she doesn't ask. So those are two models of prayer that I can't buy. A lot of people look at those two models and they say, well, this whole praying to influence God makes no sense. Prayer might change me, but it doesn't change the situation, doesn't change God any, you know, so, okay, I'll pray, but I'm only doing it thinking that, you know, I'm going to get some help out of this. I reject that view too. This is what my view says. God's truly relational. That means God is affected by what we do and prayer is an activity. So prayer actually has a real effect on God. It's not going to change God's loving nature. God's always going to love, but it has a real effect on God because it provides new data for God. We also live in an interrelated universe. My actions affect other creatures in the universe, affects my own body, affects my family, etc. So petitionary prayer affects both God and the universe, which means that our actions open up new possibilities, new avenues, new opportunities for God to work in the next moment that may not have been there had we not acted, had we not prayed. It doesn't somehow make God capable of single-handedly fixing things, but God has new data, new things to work with in God's ongoing love relationship with creation. So petitionary prayer can actually make a difference in an uncontrolling love of God perspective. Mm. Scott, you lean forward. <laughs> to me, the, Scott is to, me the, to me, the prayer, that prayer, you said it's new data and it seems from my perspective to be building a greater relationship. Yes. That's part of the data. The God. And yeah. That's a good point. I'm glad you bring that up because data sounds kind of mathematical or scientific. And I think that's part of it. But the relational aspect is really important to me as well. Because just like with my wife in our ongoing relationship, when she shares something with me, that's new, a new aspect in my relationship that I can respond to. So thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. Right. And I don't think, absolutely. And I don't think, and I agree uh, to kind of add to that, um, me doing my 
guy stuff or my business stuff or whatever finances or whatever it might be me sharing that with my wife increases uh the relationship and trust and and creates a stronger bond so relating that to me praying to god seems to be related um in that regard yeah i think so you know that's a great point i think let me step back just a second and kind of take a macro view of prayer just for a moment. I'm totally committed to the idea of wanting to pray prayers that actually match my view of who God is. Uh, sounds like maybe you, Zach, are kind of like me. I grew yeah. up hearing prayers and saying prayers. And sometimes in a, I'm in a social situation and someone asks me to pray. And I'm like, really, I have these certain habits. I'm, I'm really tempted or it's almost automatic to say things that on hindsight, I think, well, I don't believe that. Why did I just say this? You know, like, God, we ask you to be present here today. I'm thinking to myself, ask God to be present. God's omnipresent. What the heck am I doing? I believe God's everywhere all the time. Why am I inviting God to be somewhere where God always is? So I'm constantly asking myself, what kind of prayers can I pray that actually articulate the view of God I think is most plausible? And I'm not perfect at this, but it's an adventure that I'm, I've, I've, I'm really energized about. <laughs> yeah, nice. I don't always succeed in it, but um, I find it to be really fruitful. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is funny. I do sometimes laugh at myself because old patterns crop up yeah. from time to time. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel guilty of like, I'm not praying right. None of that is at play right now. I, yeah. And I know sometimes guilt can be at play for a lot of people. It, it's more like chuckling at myself, like, oh, you just slipped back into that. And I, I'm getting better at realizing what I actually believe versus what I want to state I believe. Yeah. And so, and, and I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to communicate um, truths as I see them biblically or about God on this podcast in a way that matches what I actually believe, not what I would state I believe. And I think in my past, it was always like, well, this is what I'm supposed to say because yeah. that's what I was taught. Well, let me tell you, there's so many people who do that. And even, you know, I used to work at a university and I remember first coming to it and, and my colleagues in the religion department were all Christians and I knew their theologies pretty well. But we would sit around and, and someone would say, well, before the meeting gets start, started, why don't you, and they would point to one of my colleagues, why don't you pray? And that person would pray and I would listen carefully to their words and think, their thought, theology doesn't match what they're actually saying right now. Yeah. And no one would say anything. <laughs> like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't want to embarrass them or anything, you know, like I'm working on it too. I don't have all the answers. But I just said to myself, I want to have a prayer life that actually matches up with the, the views of God I think are most plausible. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's like so many group prayers in, in prayer meetings. I've, I've been involved with church for a long time, kind of behind the scenes. And so you have prayer meetings and then <laughs> you, you just get, oh, this person, they're, they're telling us what we should believe or they're, they're, this is their mini sermon. They're not, they're not actually <laughs> praying. They're telling us what, That's they, true too. <laughs> what they want us to get from it. <laughs> yeah. Let me, um, you know, we're going long. I was going to 
I could say something else, but you think it'd be a good time to bring it to a close or what, what do you suggest? Well, I guess it depends on what you're going to say. Are we opening cans of worms? Because I know we have a little bit of time, but I want to be respectful of you. So we don't have like a hard format on timing yeah. in terms of our podcast. Well, this prayer thing is really getting me excited. And okay. <laughs> I was thinking about um, giving you the model I kind of have in mind when I pray for people who are sick. Oh, yeah. And how I try to work that out in terms of how I think about God and the situation. Can I? And I'll, oh, do, yeah. it, I'll do it in relation to, let's say, um, we are asked, uh, let's put Scott here. Actually, I don't know you guys all that well. Are any of you like clergy at all? Pastors? No. No, Jeff was okay. former overseer. Scott has led worship before. Okay, well, I'll use myself then. Let's say, since I'm an ordained elder, let's say I'm called to go to the hospital because Ruth in my congregation. Bless her heart. Yeah, bless her heart. As the (laughs) coronavirus. And she's in the hospital and she wants a pastor to come pray for Ruth. Now, you know, assuming I'm taking the necessary precautions and everything, I show up in the room. What am I going to pray that actually matches my view of who God is? This is how I use, I, I pray when I'm thinking carefully in those situations. <laughs> First thing I do is I try to say something to begin the prayer that acknowledges what seems to be the case. I'll say something like this. God, we come before you because Ruth is suffering from the coronavirus. Now, me saying this is not telling God something new. God already knows Ruth is suffering. Ruth knows. But sometimes just stating what seems to be the case is part of the path toward overcoming the problem. So trying to state the concern of the issue well. And obviously in my illustration here, I'm not being using much detail, but that's sort of the first step. Got it. Second step. I'll say something like this. God... We believe you're already acting in Ruth's body, working to heal her. Now, this might be new information to Ruth because Ruth hasn't been healed. She may think that God has abandoned her or is punishing her, doesn't like her and isn't trying to heal. But now all of a sudden, I'm I'm making the claim that God is working in her life to try to heal her. Now, if God truly is doing that, which I think is the case, I'm not telling God anything new here either. I'm making a claim, but this, remember I said in my view of prayer, I think my actions make a difference to God in the world. I'm making a difference to Ruth right now. She's hearing things that may go against some worries she had about God abandoning her. Now she's got some hope that God is working in her life. Third step, I'll say something like this. God, we believe you're working to heal Ruth, but you're also coming against factors, actors, and forces that are uh, working for evil. Now, in this case, Ruth might be thinking, oh, is he talking about demons here? Or is he talking about viruses? Or are you talking about my cells? Or uh, I'm not explicitly making any claims about what those forces are. But what I'm acknowledging in my theology is that God is in opposition to real forces against God. I'm overcoming 
hopefully in her mind, the view that God can just single-handedly bang things out if God wants to. I'm saying, no, there's, there's opposition here. There's real tension against the healing God wants to do. Now, again, if this is true, I'm not telling God anything new in the first three steps. The fourth step tells God something new. I say something like this, God, right now in this moment, we commit to cooperating with whatever you're calling us to do. Now, maybe Ruth was cooperating in the past, but this is a new form of cooperation. It's a new moment of saying yes to God. This is new data that God can work with. And that cooperation might mean listening to the doctors, taking your meds, sleeping more, taking in more fluid. It can take a variety of forms. Mm. But this is new material that God can use in God's work to heal. All four of those steps align with my view that God is uncontrolling love, present and active, but unable to single-handedly cure Ruth of the virus. That's probably more you wanted to hear, but there you no, go. I mean, it's super helpful for, to me. I know I'm going to listen to this. Once it's out, I'm going to listen again. Well, I edit these things lightly. <laughs> Sorry, Scott, your lip smacks are going to still be in. But <laughs> but uh, that that is super helpful for me because it is, it's been a few years since I kind of acknowledged that I want to, I, I don't have the view of God that like he won't act unless I pray or he's waiting for enough people to pray. That just, that makes God smaller in my view. Um but old habits die hard. So oh, it's, they do. and I'm look, I'm looking for a spiritual practice to, to kind of fall in line to where my faith actually is. So it is really helpful. Great. I'm happy to hear it. I appreciate that. You guys have anything else? Well, I know Scott has a list, but <laughs> next time. How much time do we have? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think uh, my t- I think my time my allotted time is up. <laughs> oh yeah, you hear the family, the family and the I dog. Have te- I have texts coming through. We oh, are hungry. You were the man of the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks for the conversation from all three of you. I've really, really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, so thank you, you, Thomas. You're you're working on the book about creation ex nihilo not being a thing in the Bible. Looking forward to that. It looks like some of your previous work has touched on that. It has. Actually, the next book coming out here in a couple months is a book with the title Questions and Answers for God Can't. So it's going into some of the things we've talked about tonight, like miracles and prayer and eschatology. Um, And it's written for a wide audience, kind of like God Can't was written. But I've got some other books I'm working on, too. I'm always doing more than one thing, so... Of course. Yeah, yeah, just a few quick fire. You don't have to answer, but so with with God, you know, an open theism idea or God presenting being presented with new information. Yeah. How does that work with prophecy and God telling things that are going to happen in the future? Um, and then the ex nihilo thing. It seems like okay. Maybe let's just just from what it sounded like you said. That this earth might not what well, wasn't created ex nihilo, but was created from some previous creation, um, and then you know it goes back to, to infinity um, or ad infinitum. I don't know whatever that is. Um, but that's the I, I, 
think there's a isn't there a law like a, a logical fallacy or something that um uh uh, infinite regress. Uh, so at some point, God has, at some point, it has to be an initial thing. Only God can be infinite in the past, a creation, even if from God, where God creates everything. Yeah, um, yeah, I covered that in that book, and I've also covered it in some other things. So um, do you have okay, my I'll email? The book. Yeah, well... I can also give you my email address and I'll send you some stuff I've already written on that, uh, Scott. So um, okay. I think yeah. Zach's for sure. Oh, you were copied into this. So yeah, you've got my email address. I'll, I'll, I'll send that to you. Awesome. Right, yeah, great. Thank you. So the website is Thomas J J A Y Ord O O R D.com. Um, Anything else you want to say about your stuff? Give yourself the best plug possible right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking some about this new this book that came out last year called God Can't. I'd recommend that. It's a very accessible read. You don't have to have a theology degree to understand it. Um, I also might say that I direct a center called the Center for Open Relational Theology. And if you want to kind of figure out what that's about, that kind of movement, go to the center and you can find a really brief description or you can go way down into the weeds and some of the resources. So if your listeners are interested in open theism, that's a good place to go. The Center for Open and Relational Theology. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Scott, Scott will not be your, he will not be walking through the doors on that one. <laughs> I love it. It sounds like you're going to, you know, read my feet and levels. <laughs> God may not know the future, but Jeff does. <laughs> nice. All right, Tom. Thank you so much, man. You're awesome. All right. Thanks, Jack. You. See you guys. Have a good one. All, right. All right. You too.
I'm 52, I'm a gym teacher. Gym teacher. I'm a gym teacher. I'm 52, I'm a gym teacher. Gym teacher. I'm 52, I'm a gym teacher. Gym teacher. I'm 52, I'm a gym teacher. Gym teacher. Thank you.